Would you pray with me? God of grace, let the words that are spoken and the words that are heard be blessed by you, the living word. Amen. Christ is risen indeed. That is the good news we come to hear on Easter Sunday. Christ is risen indeed. This is the heart of our celebration. We come to Easter on Sunday, we come to church on Easter Sunday to hear the good news of the resurrection. But more than that, I have a specific conviction about why you are here this morning. I think you are here because God has called you by name and called you to this time and place. And maybe it seems to you that you come out of habit or out of a sense of obligation. Maybe you came to church this morning because your parents made you. Or if you're too old for your parents to make you do anything, maybe you came to please your parents. Maybe you live with some existential question you seek to answer. Maybe something intangible tugs at you in some way that you think is illogical, but you still can't shake. Maybe you think one of these reasons or some other reason is the thing that brought you to church on Easter Sunday. But I think all of these things are just camouflage for the fact that God is calling you by name. The living God, whose eternal presence we proclaim on Easter, is the God who calls you by name. The God who called Mary by name. John's Gospel tells us that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb where Jesus had been buried while it was still dark. John's Gospel doesn't tell us why Mary went to the tomb. In the other Gospels, Mary and the other women went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. But John's Gospel tells us that that anointing has always already happened, that that was done by Nicodemus. John does not tell us why Mary goes to the tomb, but I think we know why. She goes to grieve. She doesn't go to perform a task, such as the anointing of a body. She goes simply to give space to the grief that is in her heart. She goes to the place where Jesus had been laid so that she can take time and space for her grief. I think most of us have known what it is like to need time and space to grieve. Mary needed that time and space to grieve. Perhaps she couldn't sleep that night. So she is up before there is even a glimmer of daylight she makes her way to the tomb alone, and she grieves. When Mary Magdalene arrives at the tomb, she finds that the stone has been rolled away from the opening, and the tomb is empty. Now she no longer wants to be alone, and the running begins. Mary takes off running and goes to Peter and another disciple, the one who is usually called the beloved disciple. She tells them, that someone has taken Jesus out of the tomb. The running continues, and now it is Peter and that other disciple running together to the tomb. They see what Mary saw. The tomb is empty. 
one of the disciples, the beloved disciple, believes at this point. That is what the scripture says. But it doesn't say what he believes. Perhaps he believes that death could not hold Jesus captive, could not keep him in a tomb. We know that a body in a grave has a particular sense of finality to it. If nothing else, the empty tomb calls into question that cold finality. But whatever it is that this disciple believed as a result of seeing the empty tomb, this disciple does not see Jesus. Mary does see Jesus, but at first she doesn't recognize him. She is weeping. She talks to two angels, and then she sees someone else. It is Jesus who she sees, but she does not recognize it is him. Even the Christian Gospels are largely unable to explain the resurrection. The people in these stories don't understand. No wonder it is so hard for people now. It makes me wonder how often we fail to recognize the presence of the living Christ in our day. Mary does not recognize Jesus even when she sees him. And then, Jesus speaks just one word. I imagine that word must have hung in the air. Jesus simply says, Mary. He calls her by name. And then, even through the blur of her tears, she sees him, truly sees him. She recognizes the living Christ. That is the moment when everything changes, that moment when Jesus speaks Mary's name. Mary recognizes Jesus, the risen Christ, risen indeed. There is something about being called by name. There is something about being intimately known for just who we are, known and cherished for exactly who we are. The Christian tradition has slapped a whole lot of labels onto this Mary. The labels for Mary come from rumor and speculation just as much as they come from the Bible. She has the reputation of being a prostitute. She is called a sinner. They say that Jesus cast demons out of her. Some modern voices speculate that she was Jesus' wife. She is labeled as a woman from Magdala, a Magdalene, but none of these things play any part in how Jesus addresses her. The way Jesus knows Mary is not shaped or defined by labels or roles. He doesn't identify her with her history or her mistakes or her hometown. He knows her as Mary, a whole person, a child of God, and one who is dear to him. And that is how God knows you. Not as a doctor or a lawyer or a pastor or a teacher. Not as an alcoholic or an addict. Not as a liar or a thief. And not even as generous or kind or patient. Apart from any label that might apply to you, God knows your name knows the whole picture of who you are. 
God knows me as Kelly. Pause for a moment. Imagine God calling you by name, by your own name, just your name. Hear that name in your mind's ear as if spoken by God. Do you hear it? God knows who you are. God knows everything that name represents, knows you wholly and completely. I like to follow a blog by a woman named Jamie who calls herself the very worst missionary. She writes regularly on her website and she shares her thoughts on a whole range of subjects and some of it is not too pretty. She shares things about herself that most people would be embarrassed to say out loud. And two things happen as a result. One is that people write to her and tell her the things they are ashamed about. And Jamie writes about this, the way that people unburden themselves to her, and she is struck by how broken and hurting people are, so many people. And the second thing that happens is that people ask her how she can do it, how she can put this stuff out there that isn't pretty and isn't packaged nicely, this stuff that many people would be embarrassed or ashamed to share. They ask her how she can bring herself to be so transparent, so authentic. And Jamie's answer is that she has a very deep sense of where her value truly lies. And her value lies with how much God loves her. Knowing how much God loves her and knowing that God wants her to be just exactly who she is frees her from worrying about what other people think when she reveals her messiness and her imperfections. As she says, she doesn't give a hoot what people think, only she doesn't say hoot. <laughs> I think this is what Mary knew, too. Mary knew exactly where her value really lay. The risen Christ called Mary by name, and suddenly she knew it was him. Who could it be but Jesus? Who else knows us deeply and intimately and wholly, apart from any of the labels that anyone else might use to identify us? The Mary we meet in the gospel this morning was not afraid, and I think that's why. It had to be unsettling that early morning of the first day of the week. And yet, this passage from John's gospel is the only version of the resurrection where there is no fear. Not a single suggestion that anyone is afraid. Mark's gospel says the women were alarmed and seized by terror. Luke describes the women as terrified. In Matthew's gospel, the guards at the tomb felt such terror they shook, and maybe they passed out or something. It says they were as dead men. And Matthew says the women left the tomb with a mix of fear and joy. But John's gospel? No fear. It is the only account of the resurrection where no one is terrified by these unexpected, unexplainable events. I think being known by name frees us from fear. 
I think being known deeply and thoroughly by the God who loves us frees us from the need to be afraid. I think this is what Jamie, the very worst missionary, knows. Trusting that God knows us exactly for who we are can free us from fear. And it doesn't stop with God knowing us as we are. Even beyond that, God's desire is for us to be just exactly who we are. And that can free us from fear. Mary grieves, and Mary looks for answers, but she is not afraid. For John, the empty tomb is the beginning of the good news of the risen Christ. It is not the whole story. It is not the end of the story. After the empty tomb, and after the living Christ is shown right in front of Mary, Mary goes and announces to the disciples that she has seen Jesus. Mary goes. What do we do? What do we do when we have seen the living God? Hear again your own name, spoken by the living God. God calls you to be the you that God has created you to be, the person you are. This is who God wants you to be. We can recognize God's presence when we are so deeply known. And from there, we too are called to do something, to share our knowledge of the living God. Because people all around us are grieving, as surely as Mary was. And unlike Mary, people all around us live in fear. It is a hard world we live in. But in the face of grief and in the face of fear, people all around us also can find healing and hope by knowing that the living God knows their name, knows exactly who they are and wants them to be just exactly who they are. The depth of God's love is an antidote to fear and shame today in our world. John's gospel suggests that the beloved disciple was satisfied with the empty tomb. But Mary needed more. Mary needed more, and so do we, I think. We are not particularly satisfied by the message of an empty tomb in itself. Because resurrection is not primarily an article of faith. Resurrection is not primarily something we choose to believe or not believe. Instead, resurrection is something we are asked to see with our very eyes through the presence of the living God in the world around us. Resurrection is something we are called to participate in through our repeated choices to join the living God in God's work in the world. This is how we proclaim Christ is risen indeed, by seeing the living God at work in our world and by joining in that work. We see God at work wherever there is healing and hope, wherever there is justice and right relationship, wherever we see love and forgiveness and radical hospitality. And we join in God's work when we work for healing and hope, when we work for justice and right relationship, where we do the work of love 
and forgiveness and radical hospitality. We too can see and proclaim the living God in this world today. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia and amen.